I'm very grateful for our worship team. Thank you so much for leading us in worship that helps us see how beautiful our Savior is. I'm grateful for that. Uh, well, we are in the last few hours now until Christmas, right? Uh, even for those of us that have gotten a little older and are not quite as excited as the kids, in a few hours we will be eating gifts, eating good food, which for the first time ever, my family is going to be doing a traditional Christmas dinner. My wife has asked me to do that. I think she's going to be let down by the British food. Uh, but we will be going for it, uh, and we will be celebrating a million different ways. Uh, but usually, somewhere in the afternoon, you'll hear someone in the family say a few small words. Usually in my family, it's me. And those words are, I need a nap, right? And everything's so crazy. There's chaos everywhere, so you need to take a nap. And I would like to say, I do like my naps, but no one naps better than my son, Ben. No one naps better than my son, Ben. Here's a few pictures of Ben taking a nap. In that second one, he's fallen asleep in his own laundry basket. Don't know how he did that or why he did that, but he could fall asleep. Doesn't matter whether his head's on a pillow or whether it's on a jagged rock, he will be unconscious in about 60 seconds. So I'm proud of him for that. Uh, but like I say, I like my naps too. Here's a picture of me and Annalisa. You can see where she gets her good looks, right? No, I'm glad, I'm grateful she doesn't have my face. That would be a terrible tragedy for her. Uh, but it's always something that we do in our family, just take naps, especially as you get older, you feel more and more this need to take naps. But what do we do about the things in our life where there's no break from them, where there's no nap that we can take, where we can escape from the tiredness or the weariness? What about the weariness that comes from things like strife and division? There's no nap from that. Or the weariness that comes from things like loss and heartache? You know, in the last couple of years, I think all of us would agree we've experienced our fair share of events and circumstances that have wearied us. There have been political issues, there have been pandemics, there have been new strains of virus, there have been grief and anxiety, loss. Sometimes I think we, if we're honest, we've even wearied of ourselves a little bit. But the joy of what we celebrate every Christmas is that there is an answer to those types of weariness in our life. There is a hope for us. We might not be able to take a nap and wash them all away, but there is someone who can bring us rest from those things. And O Holy Night that we've just sang is a song, I think, that captures that amazingly well. It was originally written by a guy called Placide Capot de Rochemont. He was a French poet. And what's really interesting about this song is it wasn't written by a Christian. It was actually a parish priest who commissioned Placide to write this for him. Uh, and out came O Holy Night, and it became so popular that it wasn't long before it traveled overseas, and then an abolitionist in America called John Sullivan Dwight decided he wanted to translate it for Americans because of the second verse that says, truly taught us to love one another, and talks about the slave becoming our brother. And of course, at the time, the abolitionists, they loved this. It was a part of the gospel message that they were trying to get out, so they jumped on it, and the rest is history. It became one of the most famous Christmas carols, if not the most famous Christmas carol, that we sing each year. And I think that O Holy Night became so popular so quickly as an endured for us is because really in the words of this song, we get the clarity of a king that wants to bring us rest. We see the story of a king that wants to bring us rest, the story of a world that's weary and is granted a thrill of hope because of Christ. So I wanna take a look at this classic carol together and I wanna let its word remind us tonight that in our weariness, Christ Jesus sees us, that by his grace he's moving towards us, and that because of him we can find rest for our weary souls. 
So let's read these verses together. This is All Holy Night, verses 1 and 2. It starts, All holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise, we let all within us praise his holy name. I think that the verses of O Holy Night are first and foremost a call for us as people to rejoice. They're a call for us to rejoice. The Advent season in general is a call for us to rejoice because Christ has come to rescue us and to bring rest for our weary souls. To bring us what we so often so desperately need and can't find anywhere else. This is what Isaiah wrote when he prophesied about the coming of Christ. He said to us in Isaiah 9 verse 6, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Some of the most well-known words, perhaps in human history, and some of the most important in all of the Bible. These were words that the writers of the New Testament remembered and wrote down when Jesus' his story began to spread. It's words that Jesus himself used to help people understand who he was and why he had come into the world. And the words that we've got printed on the back of our worship center, because in those words, we hear the good news of a God who has come to care for us. And I want to quickly try and summarize for us tonight four ways in which Jesus is good news for us at Christmas time. And you may have heard some of these before. You may be so familiar with the Christmas message that for you coming to Christmas service on Christmas Eve, it's kind of just going through the motions. But really, hidden in this story, hidden in this moment, is the most valuable thing that has ever been done by anyone. And so I, I hope for you, no matter where you are, whether you are new to the Christmas story, whether you have been following Jesus for a while, I want you to let the truths of who he is wash over you tonight and bring you rest and bring you hope. So the first way in which Jesus comes to bring good news is he brings an end to sin, the end of sin. Now that's a word that, if you like me, it makes you just a little bit uncomfortable because it's a very religious word, sin. There's so much packed in there, so many ideas about it, some of them honestly quite bad and unbiblical. Uh, but sin is something that we, we have to talk about at Christmas. Pastor Jeff talked about this last week. We were gathered together for church, and he told us that we often say Jesus is the reason for the season. It's kind of a popular phrase, but what's the reason for Jesus? Well, why did he come to our world? Why did he do what he did? The answer is sin. And Holy Night references this. Holy Night sings these words. It says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. I like that because for someone who can sometimes struggle with what the idea of sin is, Kapoor, the guy who wrote this, he helps me understand it a little bit. Because sin really is a problem of longing and pining for things other than God to satisfy our souls. Whatever the sin is, whatever the issue is, it usually will come back to something where we have tried to find ourselves or tried to give ourselves to something other than God. We tend to create things and we even tend to ourselves. And the truth is that that's a fatal error. See, when we reject God as the true answer to our longings, 
It's like cutting a lake off from the river that feeds it. Now, I don't know whether you've ever seen a, a lake that's had its river dry up or has been disconnected by a landslide, something like that. But what very quickly happens to a lake that doesn't have an inlet is that it starts to become kind of murky and dirty. And very quickly, all the wrong things start to grow in that water until eventually the lake dries up completely. That's a picture of what happens to us in our life when we disconnect ourselves from God and we reject God in whatever way we choose to do it. So we need someone to come and repair this broken relationship. It needs to give us an inlet again. Come and help us navigate the problem of sin, to bring an end to the problem of sin. And that is why Jesus was born. That's why Jesus stepped into our world, is to give his life as a payment for sin, to address the biggest problem in our lives because he loves us, to restore us to right relationship with God. And that's why when he appears, the soul feels its worth. Because friends, you and I were made for him. He is the one for whom our soul longs. To know Jesus is to know that he alone is the answer to everything that we long for. But Jesus didn't just come to bring an end to sin. He came to bring an end to weariness. It's an interesting word, weariness, because it's really, it's more than just being tired. It's more than just needing a nap. Weariness is this deep exhaustion within us when we've been trying and trying and trying and we're really not getting anywhere. It's kind of like trying to be a Bears fan, if we're honest. It just never works out for you. If sin is this condition where we're rejecting God, and we are kind of holding him at arm's length, then the natural result of that in our lives is going to be weariness. If our soul is not being fed by the one for whom it, it exists, then we're not, we're not going to find life. The great uh, philosopher Madonna once said the following. She said, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me and pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, every day I still have to prove that somebody. My struggle for significance has never ended, and it probably never will. Isn't that an interesting thing that Madonna says? Now, whether you like Madonna or not, that's a really interesting thing that she says. She has more fame and fortune than any of us are probably ever going to garner. She has been successful in so many different areas of her life, and she has a crowd of adoring fans. And she still says every day she wakes up and feels mediocre, that she needs to fight for significance. She needs to prove herself in one way or another. Doesn't that sound exhausting? Doesn't even just hearing those words, doesn't that make you feel in your gut? Doesn't it make you feel weary and tired? Let me ask you, where have you been trying to earn or build your own significance? What makes you valuable? Is it what you do? Is it what you've earned? Is it what you've built? Or is it the one in whose image you're made? Who imprints significance and value and worth on you, apart from anything you do? If you are feeling the same exhaustion and weariness that Madonna feels, I invite you to come to Jesus, who puts value and worth on your life, apart from anything you will ever do or need to do. Jesus also came to put an end to conflict. Isaiah calls Jesus the Prince of Peace, one of his most famous titles, and Kapoor writes in his song, he says, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. See, if sin separates us and it wearies us, it's also gonna bring us into conflict with other people. And here's why. is because if the longings of my soul and the needs of my life 
If I'm responsible for those and it's on my shoulders to figure those out and you happen to come in my way, what's going to happen? What happens when my needs conflict with your needs? What happens when the things I have to have that I need for significance and value, you have them? If we try to find ourselves in politics or resources or any other strange place that we might go, we're going to come into conflict. All conflict in human history has been started because people have been quarreling over what they need and someone else has it. But the good news of Christ's coming is that if God steps into our world, we have everything we need in him, don't we? If he really is God, what is there that we could need that he doesn't have, that he isn't willing to give to us? You ever wonder why Jesus can say to his followers, I want you to love your enemies and those who persecute you? It's because they know that in him they've found everything they need. They don't, they don't need to take it from their enemies. They don't need their enemies to fall anymore. They can love them freely because they've found everything that they need in Christ. And so we'll never ultimately overcome conflict in our life until we've found our needs met in Jesus. And lastly, Jesus comes to bring an end to division. An end to division. In one of the more famous lines from the song, Kapoor writes, Change shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. One of the things that Jesus is most famous for in history is that he united fiercely different types of people together as family. Did you know that in Jesus' 12 disciples, there was two guys that were very, very different. There was a guy called Simon the Zealot, and there was Matthew the tax collector. Now, Simon the Zealot was part of this group, this political group of people, the Zealots, and their view was that Rome needed to be pushed out of Israel by any means necessary. They needed to recover their country from their oppressors, and they would do this by violent means. They were a, a militant group. It's kind of interesting that someone like that would end up hanging out with Jesus. But then also in Jesus' disciples was Matthew the tax collector. Now, tax collectors were on the exact opposite end of the spectrum to a zealot. They had allied themselves with Rome. They were profiting off Rome's oppression of Israel. They were making money off it. And so, in any other circumstances, Simon the zealot would have put a knife in Matthew the tax collector's back. They would have hated each other. Yet, somehow, when Jesus is involved, those two people love one another. They serve one another. They give their lives for one another. They work together. Isn't that something that we desperately need? Someone who can bring an end to division like that. I think sadly this category is probably the hardest to escape from even in the church. We love to break off into our tribes and our cliques and we almost seem second natured to stay with those that vote like us, look like us, live like us and think like us. But Jesus calls us to love those who are other, those who are different. Christ came to bring an end to that. And when we hold on to tribalism and we section ourselves off, we're missing part of the joy of knowing Jesus. And the joy is this, is that we and those that are different from us are both just as much in need of his grace. Both of us are sought by Christ, loved by Christ, made whole in Christ. Kapoor finishes his second verse by writing, Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Advent is good news of great joy for all people. But the reason why we sometimes don't always feel those ends is because we haven't yet surrendered. We haven't yet raised a chorus. 
the chorus of this song in particular call, is a call to surrender. You know, I don't like a lot of physical activities. I'm a pretty unathletic guy. But one of the few athletic things I do like is swimming. I've always enjoyed swimming. And when I was a kid, I was not a good swimmer. I would always get in there and I would have this panic attack. I would splash around, jump around. And whenever you do that in water, you just tend to sink, unfortunately. But I learned that if you would just relax your whole body, if you would just let go, you float. Right? And my instructor would try and tell me this over and over again. He would, ju- he would just say, relax, Andrew. I just want you to relax your whole body. Just relax and you'll float. Eventually, I learned that. I learned that surrender was very helpful. Chorus reads, fall on your knees or hear the angel voices, night divine, or night when Christ was born. The response that we are asked to give from this song is to fall on our knees and surrender in worship to God. If we go to the Advent story and we read the account of the wise men, the Magi who visited Jesus from the east, this is what we're told in Matthew 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. We jump to verse 10. It says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. There's basically two responses at Advent to the birth of Jesus. And we see them both in that short account. There's the response of the wise men who travel great distances bringing extremely valuable gifts and falling on their knees to a child in a manger because they've found everything they've ever wanted. And then there's a king who upon hearing about the birth of this newborn king is deeply troubled and who ultimately seeks to destroy him. Right there is the two responses. Surrender and resistance. And you and I will ultimately fall into one of those two boxes. Either we will surrender to the newborn king or we'll resist him. And resistance doesn't need to look as dramatic as it did for King Herod. Resistance can be just kind of keeping it at him at arm's length. You know, the reason why Herod disliked Jesus is he knew Jesus, his coming, was going to take something away from him. It's what Tim Keller writes in his book, Hidden Christmas, which is a fantastic little book, really thin, he says, if the Son of God was really born in a manger, then we've lost the right to be in charge of our own lives. That's what troubled Herod. It wasn't that Jesus was the Prince of Peace or the Wonderful Counselor. Of course not. He knew that was good news for all of Israel. What Herod didn't like is was he was going to have to lay his throne down because there was someone else that was supposed to be sitting on it. As much as Jesus came to bring an end to our weariness, sometimes like Herod... We hold on to our weariness because control feels more comfortable than surrender. Sometimes we'd rather remain in our weariness so that we can have control of our own lives. But surrender is the doorway to hope. Surrender is the doorway to hope in our life. So let me ask you today about the throne of your life. Does Jesus trouble you? Does the idea of God trouble you? Is the throne of your life more important to you than a newborn king? Are you resisting the good news 
of one who's come to bring you rest? Or are you willing to open up your life to change that might be uncomfortable so that you can know that king? Jesus doesn't leave us without encouragement in this decision to surrender or resist. He gives us hope because he's holy. The night that Christ was born we sing is the holy night. The reason why is because the child that was born is holy. And let me read you what that means for us. This is Jackie Hill Perry writes this. She says, if God is holy, then he can't sin. And if God can't sin, then he can't sin against you. And if he can't sin against you, shouldn't that make him the most trustworthy being that there is? Have you ever considered that before? That because God is holy, that he will never work against you in some kind of harmful way. That he is the most trustworthy being in all of creation. He doesn't come into your life to gain something for himself as though he's got some shattered ego like us. He comes because he loves us, because he is full of grace, and out of the abundance of his goodness, he wants to share that with us and bring us rest. That's why Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I know that there is weariness in this room today. I know it because it's in my heart too. There's fatigue, there's anxiety, there's heartache, there's frustration. And Jesus' call to all of us is to come in to him and find rest. To find rest in his arms and know the hope that he brings. Child that was given to us on that very first Christmas that was laid in a manger wrapped in cloths, that child is the beginning of the end for everything that has ever plagued us or troubled us or harmed us. But to know him, we have to surrender. And I invite you to do that with me today. Perhaps for the first time or maybe for the hundredth time. But to this Christmas, give up the throne to the newborn king who loves you and longs to bring you rest. Angels sang to us on that very first Christmas that he is good news for all mankind. And he is. And that is why he is worth surrender. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your son that you gave to us as a gift on that first Christmas and that first Advent. But I thank you that he is the hope and the longing of every heart. That while we in sin and error pine, he has come to help our souls feel their worth, to restore us to right relationship with you. And Father, help us in our places of doubt and distrust and resistance to come to you that we might find rest. And we love you and we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.